Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Jesus, he knows what he got with us. He knows that he got sinners. And so it's not a surprise to him when we sin. It's not a surprise to him when we fail. And what he's saying to us is don't go with your natural tendency to flee, to run, to hide. But no, instead, when you sin, when you get in trouble, come to me. Come to me boldly. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, in a message titled, The Priest Upon the Throne. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You know, it's interesting as as we come to this, it's really picking up and, and finally focusing on what the author wanted to uh, direct our attention to way back in the first verse of the third chapter. There in the first verse of the third chapter, he wrote and he said, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Now, for them, at that time, they would have had, you know, a a fairly thorough understanding of the role of the high priest. But for most of us, that, that probably escapes us. So we need to, before we look at Jesus as our high priest, we need to take a moment and just look at the position, the role, and the function of the high priest. So when God set up the mosaic, we call it the mosaic system because it came through Moses, there was a priesthood that was established and there was a, um, a tabernacle that was built and there was a sacrificial system. And the priest, of course, had to do with, with all of that. Now, Aaron, the brother of Moses, was the first high priest. And it was the high priest who was really the intercessor between God and the people. Uh, The high priest was the only priest that was ever able to go directly into the presence of God in the tabernacle or or later in the temple. So the, the tabernacle was divided into the general area where the people came to worship, and then there was the holy place where the priest did their functions, but then there was what was called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And this is where the Ark of the Covenant resided. This is where the very presence of God was. And it was behind this thick veil and no one could access the holy of holies except the high priest. And the high priest could only do that once a year. And so once a year, the high priest would go with blood uh, that had come from the sacrifices and he would go into 
the, the holy place and he would make atonement for the people. So it was that one day a year, the day of atonement, that the high priest went directly into God's presence. So now the high priest, he would then enter the most holy place with blood that one time a year and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. So with that as the background, all of this was pointing to something greater. You see, all of these uh, Old Testament things were prophetic. Part of the nature of them was to, to speak about things to come. And you see, the problem that the writer is addressing is that the people that he's writing to, they want to hold on to the things that were pointing to the greater thing that would come in the future. The greater thing has come, but they're insisting on holding on to the things in the past. But he wants them to understand that, no, all of these things were just were pictures of the greater thing. The high priest, Jesus, is the greater and the better high priest. And so, as it says in verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed, and here's the key, he's passed through the heavens. You see, the earthly high priest could pass from the holy place behind the veil into the holy of holies, but he couldn't pass into heaven. He couldn't pass into the very presence of God, but that's what Jesus did. So this is the superiority of Jesus as our priest. He doesn't just go annually with the blood of an animal into the presence of God in the holy of holies. Jesus passes right into heaven itself. And as the letter will tell us later, not with the blood of animals, but he comes there with his own blood that makes the total and final atonement. So these things were pointing to Christ. And so once again, he says, since that's the case, let us hold our confession. He keeps warning them about not loosening their grip on Christ, not letting these great realities slip away, not drifting back to the past, but, but maintaining what they have. And then he goes on and he says this, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tested, tempted as we are yet without sin. So he wants them to know that Jesus as our high priest is there before God to intercede for us, to help us. And he also wants them to know and us to know as well that he is not unaware of or indifferent toward or untouched by or unsympathetic toward our weaknesses. You see, this is the problem that they had, and it's a problem that we have so often. We think of God as being detached. We think of him as being unaware of the struggles and the, and the difficulties and the problems that we face, but nothing could be further from the truth. You see, as our high priest, as our intercessor, Jesus can intercede for us so completely because he himself has been where we are at. And that's what the author wants to remind them of, and that's what we need to be reminded of as well. We have a high priest who is sympathetic toward our weaknesses. 
The word for weakness can be used to describe any kind of weakness or a lack of strength. It could be physical, it could be mental, it could be emotional, it could be moral, it could be spiritual. Whatever the case, he is able to sympathize with those. Or as the the King James Version says, we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. That, to me, gives a really good picture. You know, we're infirmed, we're afflicted, we're suffering, and what he's saying is Jesus is not untouched by that. No, he's, he's actually been touched by it. So we have a high priest who is sympathetic with our weaknesses because he was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. The reason Jesus has sympathy for us in our struggles is because he was tempted like we are. But this statement here, he was tempted in all points like we are, this to me is one of the the great understatements of the scripture. And so here, when it says he was in all points tempted as we are, that is a huge understatement. And this is the reason. Jesus was tempted in ways that none of us could ever be tempted. He endured temptation that we couldn't even imagine undergoing. Anytime you're tempted to think that Jesus doesn't get what you're going through, or he doesn't somehow understand the struggle or the difficulty or the grief or whatever it might be, know that that thought is not right. Because he was tempted, tested, tried in all points just as we are. Let me give you three quick examples. And I want to use them with uh, tempted, tested, and tried. Because I'm using those three words because the, the word translated tempted here is also translated tested and tried. It's the same word. It just depends on the context. When we think of temptation, we usually think of the temptation to do something evil. You know, we think of lust or we think of greed or we think of hatred or murder or or something like that. You know, somebody being tempted to do that. And, And that's correct. But there's also a tempting, which would better be termed a testing, where you're not necessarily being tempted toward evil like that, but you're, you're undergoing intense pressure that ends up you know, testing your faith. And that, that's the idea behind this word. It includes that. But think of Jesus in regard to tempting, testing, and trying. Satan comes to Jesus, and he says this. Jesus, is, he's fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry. And the, the devil comes to him. And at a certain point, he gives him three temptations, but I'll go to the third one. He says, all the kingdoms of this world and all the glory of them, I will give to you if you will but bow down and worship me. No human being has ever been tempted like that. The devil has never offered all of the world and all of the kingdoms and all of the glory to any one person. That's the kind of temptation that Jesus underwent. Now, remember, Jesus came to redeem the world. The temptation was this. I'll give you the world, but you don't have to do it God's way. I'll just give it to you. You don't have to go to that cross. You don't have to die for sin and all of that. The devil's saying, no, you just bow down and worship me, and it's yours. You can have it. 
So that's a temptation that none of us could even imagine. None of us could ever hold up under that kind of temptation. Of course, we, we settle for so much less quite frequently, actually. Secondly, in the Garden of Gethsemane, so great was the satanic pressure on Jesus in the garden that he sweat. Luke tells us he sweat great drops of blood. So he was tempted in all points like we are. He was tested in all points like we are. Have you ever been in this kind of a testing, this kind of satanic pressure upon your faith that the pressure is so great that you sweat great drops of blood? No, you haven't. Neither have I. None of us have. This was a a unique testing where, where all of the pressure of the devil was put upon Jesus. And so you see, as I said, this is really an understatement because Jesus was, was tempted. He was tested so far beyond anything any of us would ever know. One more, the final one. Remember on the cross, Jesus cried these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken by God. Now we might sometimes feel that way. We, you know, at times maybe even have thought, well, maybe God has abandoned me, but he hasn't. But Jesus truly was forsaken by God. So when the writer says that he was tempted or tested or tried in all points as we are, know that it was far above anything we could ever know. So that tells us there's nothing that I go through that Jesus can't be sympathetic with. In other words, there's there's nothing that I'm going to go through that is greater than something that he could relate to. We come to Jesus with our burdens and he says, oh, I'm sorry, I've, you know, I've never been through anything like that before. I don't know how to help you. There, there's nothing, nothing at all that you'll ever go through that Jesus would not be able to understand by experience. But then he tells us he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Now, this yet without sin it could intimidate us. It's not meant to, as I'll show you in a moment. But it could intimidate us. You think, well, you know, how can I come to Jesus? I mean, he underwent all of this this temptation, this testing, this trying, and he never sinned. I crumble so easily. I I fall into sin so easily. I, I break under the pressure so easily. How can Jesus really, you know how could he relate to me? Because he didn't do that. He was without sin. It might be intimidating if we misunderstand it. These words are not meant to intimidate us. They're meant to encourage us. What they're meant to show us is that the world, the flesh, and the devil were unable to overcome Jesus, and the strength that he exerted to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil is the same strength that he will give to us in the battles that we face against these enemies. That's the good news behind he was without sin. Jesus got the victory over these things for us, and he, as we come to him, he will give us what we need to also obtain the victory. And so, since that is the case, verse 16, let us therefore... Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may 
obtain mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. Now, just on a personal note, this is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, these three verses here. They are so comforting. They are so encouraging. They bring such hope. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. The word boldly, it means to come openly, frankly, confidently, fearlessly. The picture is you're just busting right into the throne room with your problem, even with your sin, that you're coming there, you're coming to this throne of grace. It's a throne of grace. Now, granted, when, when you just stop and think about it, you might question like, well, you know, that just seems so counterintuitive. It just seems so like that's not the way it works. And it seems that way to us because we forget one really important thing, that Jesus is all wrapped up with sinners, Look, we're all sinners. And guess who knows that better than we do? Jesus. He knows what he got with us. He knows that he got sinners. And so it's not a surprise to him when we sin. It's not a surprise to him when we fail. And what he's saying to us is don't go with your natural tendency to flee, to run, to hide. But no, instead, when you sin, when you get in trouble, come to me. Come to me boldly. And so he bids us to come and listen. It is a throne of grace. It's not a throne of wrath. Because of what Christ did, it is a throne of grace. And for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, when they approach the throne, they approach the throne of grace. The throne of grace is the throne of power, in the universe. It's God's throne. And from that throne, grace constantly flows to needy sinners. Grace constantly flows to needy sinners from that throne. And grace flowing from God's throne is simply this, the endless supply of undeserved blessings. Now, notice what it says. Let us therefore come boldly, come boldly with confidence. We burst through the doors to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, like I said, these people were going to everything but the Lord to to find help in their struggle, in their temptation, in their persecution, in all of that. They They were going to the wrong places. They were going away from the place they needed to go to. And even when it comes to sin, what do we need when we sin? We need forgiveness. We're not going to get that by running away from God. We're only going to get it by coming to him. And so that's what we're called to do. We are to come boldly that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mercy, here's the difference between these two things. 
they're, sometimes they're seemingly synonymous and there's an overlap for sure. But here's the difference. Mercy is the compassion that causes God to act on behalf of weak sinners. So, so mercy is more, it's more the attitude of God. It's, it's the compassion that moves God to act. So mercy moves God to act. The act is the grace that comes. So what does he say? That, that we are to go boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help. As we go before this throne, God is merciful. He accepts us. He receives us. He has compassion for us. And then grace is the help in the form of God's power he gives to those in need. Paul says to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's talking about something that's tangible. He's talking about the power that God supplies to the weak. So this grace is something that comes to us in the form of God's power. How does it work? Spurgeon said this. He said, it enters the soul. It penetrates the heart. It saturates the conscience. It abides in the memory. It affects the affections, gives understanding to the understanding, and imparts real life to the heart, which is the seat of life. So often people come to me with problems that are beyond anything I could ever solve. And if it was just up to me, this would be very sad. But this is the moment where I say, let's pray. Let's go to God. Because we're going before the throne of grace and we know that we've obtained mercy through Christ and we can be confident that he's going to give us the supply. He's going to do what needs to be done. He's going to strengthen us internally as Spurgeon described here, but he's also going to sort out those other external types of things that need to be sorted out. But even if those never get sorted out, he will give me the spiritual strength and fortitude to know his peace and his joy even in the midst of that particular storm. And so... This is the great conclusion that the author wanted them to draw from their considering of Christ Jesus as the high priest. And as we think about Jesus as our high priest, let's remember these things about him. That he loves us that we're so precious to him. We're like precious gems right there over his heart. That's how close we are. That he has the strength to bear us up regardless of the difficulty or the challenge, just as the onyx stones were there with the names engraved on the shoulders of the high priest. That he can sympathize with our weaknesses. That he was tempted, tested, and tried just like we are. So when we come to him, we come to someone who knows not because they heard about it or read about it, but because they went through it. They lived it themselves. And even more than we might have ever imagined. Are you in need of help? 
come boldly to the throne of grace. For the month of January, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Isolation, distance, and conflict during these trying times have caused countless people to feel lonely and depressed. But for the Christian, the friendship of Jesus reaches even our deepest loneliness, and we can allow darkness and despair to drive us directly to Him. And when we come to Him, Jesus is able to match our every need with His mercies because He moves towards us with compassion. If you or someone you know needs to know the heart of God, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.